All right, Shabbat Shalom. Here we go. We're getting close. We're getting close to the end. Today we break into chapter 6, and it is the shortest chapter in the epistle, which is good news. So we're almost done. It's only got 18 verses, but as I alluded to last week, despite its brevity, it's going to take us a couple weeks. And the reason being is, is there's a couple things that the Apostle Paul says that are very deep and they are very profound. And we need to feel the weight of those things. And so we're going to have to spend a little bit of time. And ironically enough, one of those points that he makes, we're confronted with immediately today, right in verse 1. And this is what we read. Let's go. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I want you to understand the context of this statement. What did we cover last week? Paul got into the war that rages. The spirit lusts against the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit. And they're contrary to one another so that you don't do what you wish. And then Paul goes on and he talks about the works of the flesh. And he lists them out. And he lists out the works of the spirit. He goes through all of that. And then he makes this statement. He makes this statement. If anyone is overtaken in any trespass. This statement is made in the context of war, where brothers and sisters get deceived, they get beguiled by the enemy, they get taken captive, and there's a call on our lives to go get them. Our call is to go rescue them, to go on a rescue mission and bring them home. It's time to bring them home. And this is what he's communicating here. And to fully help you appreciate the weight of this statement I want to take you to the book of Ezekiel, because you need to understand Paul's um, instruction here. It doesn't come from his mind. This is not his idea. It comes directly from the prophets, comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is where he's getting it. This is the resource. And so we're going to go to this resource that he's drawing from, and we're going to learn a lot about this statement. And we're going to feel the weight of it. So going to Ezekiel 33, verse 7, So you, son of man, meaning Ezekiel, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. Verse 8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. This is the mouth of the Lord. This is a declaration. The wicked are going to die. I want to point something out. This is a declaration you will find from Genesis all the way into Revelation. It's everywhere. This is frightening. And I'm going to tell you, this is the gospel. You'll be like, what? This is the gospel. This is the declaration. Why go out and preach Yeshua and him crucified and him resurrected and the fact that he forgives sins if everybody was not condemned to death? The entire world is condemned to death. The Lord has declared it. The wicked are going to die. We need a savior. We need hope. Amen? So here's the declaration. Oh, wicked man, you shall surely die. But then it goes on and says, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. Oh, what happens? That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. You feel the weight now? See, when Paul says that we're to go, if, if we know anybody that's overtaken in any trespass, go get them. 
You need to understand, it's not a matter of go get him, you know, he, he's a Christian and, he, you know, he, he kind of fell by the wayside. And we, he, he really shouldn't be doing this stuff. We need to make him look like he's a Christian. No, this is life and death. You have to have that context. You have to have that weight. This is a matter of life and death. Because if we don't go and get him, if we don't want him, he is going to die in his sin. That is frightening. You know, the, it's amazing how the enemy works us over and works in our mind and sows that deception and that filth, perverting our responsibility. We come to the point in this life, and I know I'm not the only one, where we really think what we do in this life, it really doesn't matter. You know what? If you don't speak, the Holy Spirit's pounding on you. You feel it deep in your heart. I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. I know what's going on. I know this guy's cheating on his wife. Or I know something out. You know, he's a wine bibber. He's at the bars. He can't put the bottle down. I know all these things, but I'm not going to go do it. I'm really, you know what? I feel it, but I'm not going to go do it. And you tell yourself, the enemy tells you, it won't matter. If God will send someone else. If I don't stand up, God will send someone else. Pay close attention to what is said here. When the Lord commissions you to go and get somebody and you don't do it, he's going to die. The man is going to lose his life. It's over. Do not be deceived. What you do in this life matters. The choices that you're going to make are going to make a difference in somebody's life. Not whether they enjoy their time here of whether they make it into the kingdom of God or not. And this is a reality, this is a truth, the enemy is going to come and try to strip from you so that you sit there in, in, a, in a spiritual paralysis, totally paralyzed, doing nothing. That's right where the devil wants you. You are not effective in the kingdom, and because of it, people are going to go to hell. This is a reality. Now, if you think that's where it ends, if that's where our responsibility ends, look at what is said next. But his blood I will require at your hand. Now what does that mean? Does that mean when I get to the kingdom of heaven and, and the Lord said, oh, well done, my good and faithful servant. However, you know, we got this little matter we got to talk about. I told you to go to this person. I sent you, I presented him. He was sitting right there and you did not open your mouth to show him the way of truth, to lead him, to encourage him into righteousness. No, you didn't do that. So you know what? Now his blood's on your hand. And you, you take five lashes and enter into paradise. What does this mean? What does it mean? His blood's on your head. Well, we find out as we continue. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Your soul is on the line. And my soul is on the line. You feel the weight of the responsibility now? When Paul says, when someone's overtaken and trespassed, go get them. Now you feel the weight of it. Continuing on in verse 10, we read this. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you shall say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? In other words, if our sins are plaguing us and so that we're wasting away, what hope do we have? How is it possible that we could live? Listen to the Lord's answer. This is the mouth of the Lord. This is how he responds. How can you live? This way. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want to stop right there. See, because when you're being commissioned by the Lord and the Holy Spirit is moving you 
to go to speak to someone, to pull them out of the fire, out of the depths of hell, you need to understand, you need to be equipped with some very important information. And number one, it's this, that God does not want them to die. He has a heart for them. He loves them. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is something that we have to share. It's called the love of the Lord. And so when you're going to this people, you express to them exactly what he says here. The Lord does not want you to die. First and foremost, which you need to understand, he loves you. He's not willing that you should go. But then we continue. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So get this, Israel asked the question, we're wasting away in our sins, How, where's our hope? How can we live? And the Lord's response is, repent. Repent. A message that has been turned today as offensive. It's offensive. It's offensive to the church, not just the world, but the church is offended by the message. This is scary. I want to be clear on something. And the death that we're talking about here, that's not in this life. This is not the death that the Lord's concerned with. It's the second death. That death mentioned in Revelation, the death that costs you eternity. So Matthew 10, 28, do not fear him who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That is the only death the Lord is concerned about. So I want to be very clear. We're not talking about the death in this age, in the age to come. Moving on to verse 12. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Let that sink in. See, you can have a believer who has been leaving for 30 plus years. He is respected as a righteous man of God. He has many works that he has accomplished. He has prayed for people and they've been healed. The first day that he jumps tracks and abandons the Lord, abandons the righteous commandments, the first day he does that, he's on the path to death. Now, how frightening is that? See, we don't like that. As Christians, no, no, I don't like that. That just doesn't work. You know, look at all the righteousness he's done. Look at all the people he's witnessed to. Look at all the people he's brought into the kingdom. No, that, that, can't, that can't be. We go into this deceptional, delusional self-defense mode. No, it can't be. But let the words sink in right now. Let the words sink in. This is what's going to happen. This guy's life is in jeopardy. The moment he jumps tracks. Continuing on. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Now, this is an amazing passage. So here you have this righteous man. Let's just go with my example that I gave. This righteous man walks with the Lord, does mighty works in the name of Yeshua, 30 plus years doing all these things, but then he stops obeying the Lord. Same, another guy over here, he's wicked. Same time, this guy's practicing wickedness for over 30 years. He's known by everyone to be foul, to be repulsive. He's anti-God. The moment he turns from his sin, all of his wickedness is erased. It is forgotten. It exists no more. And so on one hand, I'm looking at the most frightening story of my life, of a righteous man, that the moment he turns from the Lord, he's a dead man. 
And then on the other hand, we have the most beautiful story of hope that has ever been heard of in the world. And for those of you who the devil is telling you, you're not good enough, you've sinned too much, you've gone too far, it's a lie from the pit of hell. There's hope. There is hope. And the Bible is filled with this statement. The Bible is filled with it everywhere. But the devil doesn't want you to turn. He knows the power of repentance. The power of repentance will lead you to eternal life. This is a truth. Continuing on in verse 13. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness. I want to stop right here because this is pivotal. This is one of those game changers. He trusts in his own righteousness. What does that mean? Well, if you were to ask a progressive modern-day Christian today what that means, they would give you an answer, something to the effect as the following. Well, to trust in your righteousness means you're going to try to walk in the law of God, that you're going to try to walk in the commandments of God as though that is going to impact your salvation. It's going to be something to this degree. And the reason I say this is because I've had these conversations. I bring up the Torah with pastors. And with other Christians and say, man, do you have a love for God's word? Do you have a love for the Torah? Do you have a burning desire to keep his commandments? And literally, the response is, well, it's, Daniel, with all due respect, it sounds like you're, 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 you're a legalist. And you're trusting in your own righteousness. And this is what you're doing. And you're abandoning grace. You're forsaking grace. You don't know what you're established on. And when I say these things, I'm telling you, I am not making this stuff up. These are conversations I have all the time. And this is what we see because this is where this progressive modern-day Christianity is. So they look at this as, well, that would be trusting in your own righteousness. That's not what we want to do. Listen to me carefully. This is the mouth of the Lord. And we're going to give a little bonus today. We, we're going to give, the Lord is going to give us a bonus. He is going to define what the term means to trust in our own righteousness. And get ready for this. So we read, when I say to the righteousness, to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and what? And commits iniquity. None of his righteous works shall be remembered because of the iniquity that he has committed. He shall die. Do you know what, how he just defined? This is the mouth of the Lord. He just defined that what it means to trust in your own righteousness is to commit iniquity. What is iniquity? What is sin? Lawlessness. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. So the one who is trusting his own iniquity rejects the Torah. That's what it means to trust in your own righteousness. You wouldn't believe the, the weird looks that I get when I bring this up in a conversation. Because when I get it, when someone comes at me and says, well, with all due respect, Daniel, you're abandoning grace and you're trusting your own righteousness. I said, really, do you know? That to abandon the Torah is actually to trust in your righteousness? To think that you can abandon God's word, but I'm going to inherit heaven while I'm living like hell. It doesn't work. This is a game changer. This is a dramatic game changer. You know, I was, it, it, let me clarify here. So we know in Revelation 14, 12, it says, Here's the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of the Messiah, Yeshua. All things are established on the testimony of two. If you think you're going to grab on to the Messiah, Yeshua, and reject his Torah, you're going to be surprised at the end. 
I'm going to tell you on the flip side, if you think you're going to grab on to the commandments and to the Torah, like we have with the Orthodox community, and reject the Messiah, you're trusting in your own righteousness. It works on both sides. You need them both. You need to have them both. All things established. The faith is established. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist. It's, it's fiction. It's, it's made up. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Not trust in your own righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want you to understand the context of this proverb. And I didn't put this up here, but Proverbs 3, 1 says, My son, do not forget my Torah. Let your heart keep my commandments. This heart to keep the commandments. You need to understand, as you go throughout the Tanakh, go throughout the Torah, and the way the heart is supposed to be, what the Lord is looking for. I mentioned this last week in, in Deuteronomy 8. The Lord brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. He doesn't plop them into the promised land. No, he brings them a terrible wilderness. Why do that? And they hunger and they thirsted. The Lord wanted to know what was in their heart. What was he looking for? Go read Deuteronomy 8 too. Whether or not they would keep his commandments. So here they're in trials, they're in tribulations, and the Lord is testing them. Will they trust me? Or will they trust in their own righteousness and commit iniquity? And unfortunately, you know what happened to that generation? They passed away. In Deuteronomy 5.29, it says, Oh, that these people had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. This is the heart that is being spoken of here. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm telling you right now, you need to get real with yourself. And you need, to, you need to dig down and say, how much am I been trusting in my own understanding? How many choices do you make every single day that is based on the dictates of your heart rather than on God's word? Do you filter your decisions through God's word? Have you filtered your mouth through the word? I can tell you, I have failed in that. And I am quick to repent because I fear God. I'm not telling you I'm perfect, but when I put this up, man, it changes the words that come out of my mouth. When I put this up and I say, I need to do, it changes the direction that I walk. That's the power of God's word. So lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It is a beautiful and true statement. He will direct your path. You know, it's a mis that, that, that testimony Tara gave today. Absolutely anointed, spirit-filled, that, that song. But you know that, that one verse of the song, so much better your way. His way is better. Trust in the Lord. That's what it calls for. You're going to have to trust his ways better. Israel had to trust that his way was better in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua did. You know, I'll never forget, and I've told this story before, but I was driving, and I was listening to a Christian radio program, and it was a pastor, and he was doing, it was his radio show program, and this particular pastor had calling, people calling in, and he would answer their questions, and it's a great format. I mean, you're being able to touch and encourage people and sow the word of God into them. Uh, interesting call came in. And this is just to show you a glimpse of where modern-day progressive Christianity has really gone. The caller calls in. She was a woman. And the moment I heard her voice, I felt battle. 
the moment you could, you could hear it, you don't have to be a, you know, there's no wise insight, no prophet-like status to understand this. You heard it in her voice. She was at war. And she calls in and she says, Pastor so-and-so, I have been struggling for so long and I am in agony over this. Well, what's the problem? Somebody wronged me and I have been wrestling with forgiving that person. And I cannot seem to do, I just keep wrestling and wrestling. I keep going back and forth, but they did this. And then there's another moment that I want to forgive them. Then there's another moment, but they did this. And then I got to go back and it's back and forth. And he said, stop, stop wrestling. You don't have to forgive that person. Christ forgave that person. This is a pastor. He said, Christ forgave, Christ already forgave her. So you don't have to. And I heard that, and devastation does not articulate the feeling I had inside. The anger of, here this woman, she has been battling. Where do you think the conviction came from? Why do you think she's wrestling? Because the, the, the flesh wrestles against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. She was in the midst of war. Instead of coming in, locking your shield with her, and encouraging to press on into righteousness, and Stephen just saying the Lord's Prayer, Unless we forgive our debtors, we will not be forgiven. Instead of saying this and putting the fear of God into her, saying this is not an option. You don't have an option here. Immediately, he became a spiritual anesthesiologist. He killed and deadened the pain of godly sorrow. Wiped it away. And if you heard her response, it would bring tears to your eyes. She was so happy. Thank you. I feel like a massive burden has been lifted. See, this is what the false prophets will do. This is what the false teachers will do. This is what the false pastors will do. They will come in and remove the pain of godly sorrow. You don't need to deal with that. That's okay. Christ paid it all. And they pervert what Christ really did on the cross. It's terrifying. This is the mantra today. We don't have to do anything. As Christians, we don't have to do anything. If you have sincere conviction to walk in holiness, now all of a sudden, well, you're, you're rejecting grace. You're rejecting the mercy of God. You're trusting in your own righteousness. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. And when I heard that guy on that radio, that was not the mouth of the Lord. It was from his own heart. And yet he's using the name of the Lord. Verse 17, they continually say to those who despise me, and it's really a term relating to rebelling against God, against his Torah. The Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. It will be fine. I know you're doing this. I know, no, 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 no. You, just stop. You don't need to do that. Your salvation is locked. You said a prayer. You don't have to worry, but this is not salvational. Stop wrestling. These false prophets, these false teachers, these false preachers, they come in and they will coddle you and they will affirm you. And that's exactly what this generation wants. We just want to be affirmed in the state that we're in. I promise you, the false prophets will come and do just that to you. They will affirm you in the state, and, and, and they're going to be careful. They'll come in, oh, I don't want to be offensive. 
I don't want to say anything that's going to offend you, so just if, if I offend you, let me know, and I'll change. I'll change for you. In fact, instead of you changing, we'll change the church. And, wh- and what we'll do is we'll stop speaking about sin. We'll stop talking about hell and judgment. That's so negative. Judgment is so negative. You know what? You got a lot of stress. You don't need this. All the stress that you're facing in your life and all your turmoil, you didn't come to church to get blasted and talk about sin and hell and judgment. You don't need, what you need is to only focus on the grace and the love. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what the false prophets do. They come in with these beautiful, soothing words that, that feel like aloe. And you know what? The people love them for it. The people love them for it. This is trusting in your own righteousness. This is falling into the deception of trusting in your own righteousness. Going back to Ezekiel verse 14, finishing off this passage. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. So when Paul says, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, go get them. See, what are you going to get them with? And where are you bringing them to? What is repentance? It is to turn them back to the Torah. The thing that is extremely offensive in the church today. It's offensive. People are offended by the concept of Torah. I, am, um, I, I marvel at this. How is it possible that the enemy could come in so seductively and take something that was given to us in beauty and holiness that leads to life, and now it's anathema from grace? There's hatred against God's word. I've never seen anything. You could not in a million years imagine such an environment as the environment we're living in right now. But when this person, when he does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, just read the Torah. It talks about restoring the pledge. You can read it right in the Torah, Leviticus, Exodus. And he gives back what he has stolen and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. Without committing sin. Does that sound familiar? Because we just read it last week in 1 John. That a righteous man, he is of God, does not sin. If you've been born of God, you do not sin. Why? Because the Ruach HaKodesh resides in you. His seed resides in you. You cannot sin. It doesn't mean, like I mentioned last week, that doesn't mean you don't stumble, you don't fall. What that means is you just don't sever that conviction and continue on in this specific sin. And say, you know what? It's okay. My salvation is intact. I don't have to worry about it. And so if he restores the pledge, he gives back what is stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, here it is, he shall surely live, he shall not die. The power of repentance. Where are these preachers? Where are they? They need to rise up and preach this message. The message of repentance. Verse 16. None of his sins which he committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. You know, when you look at Luke 24 and the commission of what Yeshua sent his apostles to go do, at the end of the chapter it says you're to go out and preach repentance and remission of sins. Repentance and remission of sins. This is what's to be preached. When Peter in Acts 2, as people saw, unbelievable sights they were experienced to it you know how they responded 
to, to first century apostles carrying the word of God, they fell down trembling. They fell down trembling before them. What must we do to be saved? I ask you, what people are coming into churches today are falling down trembling. What must I do to be saved? Oh, no, 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 no. What we have now is we have churches accommodating every lust and pleasure that you could possibly imagine. So now we can have sanctuaries where we throw beach balls in the air, people dressed up in, in, in suits, in mascot suits, and we're literally flying the Easter Bunny, I'm not making this up, flying the Easter Bunny from the sky into the midst of a com community. It's crazy. See, this is what we'll do. We have not terrified the world. We become like the world. We've assimilated. The church is more like the world than the world is like the church. It's, it's, it's too crazy for words. And this is not the time to be messing around in your faith. This is not the time to be messing around in sin. You take, you take the concept that we're going through right now and feel the weight of it. See, this is what Paul's getting at. A little statement where he says, if your brother's overtaken in a trespass, go get him. Well, that's not small. That's not insignificant. It's end of the world, salvational stuff. Life and death. That's what it is. We repent, turn from our iniquity, call on the name of Yeshua. We will be saved. But unfortunately, it's just not a message that's going to be received today. There's too many people that do not have ears to hear and eyes to see. We've replaced the fear of God with a new message. You can't lose your salvation. Your salvation is locked. And it's this false sense of security that is sending more people to hell than we can count. And you chant peace, peace. But inside, these, these are men that are full of dead man's bones. They're leading people to total death. I want to put a little godly fear into you. Compliments of the Torah. Exodus 32, verse 31. Then Moshe returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. And this is the church at this time. It's the church. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And the book being spoken of here is, in fact, the book of life, or what we call the Lamb's book of life. And let me be clear. If your name is not written in this book, and you can go to Revelation, it's a fact. If your name is not written in this book, you're a dead man. The only way you live is if your name is written in that book. Now, I want to point out something, something critically important. Number one, you can be blotted out. Understand you can lose your salvation. To have your name in the book of life means you're saved. To blot it out, you've been erased. You lose salvation. But why? How did this person lose salvation? Sin. Sin. So this is why the prophets all the way through, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's filled with prophets saying, repent. The first words of John the Baptist were repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeshua follows up the first words he spoke in his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts 2.38, when the Holy Spirit fell, the message was repent and be baptized in the name of the Messiah Yeshua. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be forgiven. That's the message all the way through. It never stopped. It's not like an Old Testament thing. 
doubled down as soon as Yeshua came because the kingdom of heaven had drawn near. That message doubled down. That message got more intense. And as I mentioned last week, to sin now after the coming of the Messiah Yeshua is far graver than to sin prior to his coming. So instead of acknowledging that and living desperately for him, picking up our cross and following him, the devil has come in and seduced us and deadened the pain of godly sorrow. Scary stuff. The point here is you look at this, the threat is real. The threat is real. You can lose your salvation. Going to Revelation, these are the words of Yeshua to the church at Sardis. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, what's interesting about that, when you go later on into Revelation chapter 19, it shows the saints are there dressed in white, only there you're told why. It's interesting. There you're told because of the righteous acts they committed. That's what clothed them in white. There is fascinating, again, going back to my point, you need a testimony of two. Revelation 7, their clothes are made white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 19, they're made white because they walked in holiness. You must have the testimony of Yeshua, and you must walk in his commandments, or you are going to die. Don't think you can grab one or the other. Don't think conceptual faith is going to save you. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Amen? Continuing on, says this, He who overcomes. This is talking about perseverance of the saints. This is talking about running the race as though only one would win. This is talking about Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. That's what this is talking about. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. They repented. They walked in the spirit of God. They walked in holiness. Therefore, Yeshua will not blot them out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Romans eleven twenty two, Apostle Paul says, Therefore, consider what? The goodness and the severity of God. I want to point something out. Today, no, no, we only focus on the goodness. See, there's no sin, no hell, no judgment, no commandments. You don't got to do anything. You just got to believe. Conceptual faith. And, and when you say that prayer, you're sealed. You know, Paul says, consider the goodness and severity. On those who fell, and what's he referring to? Paul's referring back into the wilderness, severity. Okay, so, and now we know like Romans 15 and in 1 Corinthians 10, the things that have been written before, written for our learning. In other words, we're supposed to look at these stories and they're supposed to radically change your life. They're supposed to be, influence your decisions that you make. In this life, we look at it in tear. It's relevant. The Old Testament should not be thrown away. It's relevant. This is what we're commanded to look at, to put the fear of God into us. Oh, but that's interesting. Throw the Tanakh away, and where's the fear? Consider the goodness and severity of those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness. Oh, if, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Losing your salvation. If you don't continue, it's just exactly what Ezekiel, see, this is beautiful. When you put all the scripture together, it's all harmonious. When you're standing on the truth, this is exactly what Ezekiel was saying. Okay, you can have a righteous man walking righteous all day long, but if you don't continue in his goodness, you're going to be cut off. This is a reality. 
Ephesians 5, I didn't put it up here, but Ephesians 5, 6, Colossians 3, 6, it talks about the wrath of God comes against the sons of disobedience. Whatever happened to that message? Comes against the sons of disobedience. Sin leads to death. Obedience leads to righteousness. Romans 6, obedience leads to righteousness. Hebrews 5, 9, Yeshua became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. He is only the Messiah to those who really follow him, that walk in his footsteps. Now, obviously, the reason we're going through all these passages is I'm making a very simple point so that you can appreciate what Paul is instructing the Galatians. It's life and death. We need to feel the weight of that because, you know what, so often we don't because we got the cares of the world. We're not really cared about our brother. We got our own issues. We got our own problems. And we're super self-absorbed in this generation. It is a frightening thing. It's a frightening reality. But we got to get our act together and so we can help somebody else. Amen? James 5.9 says this. 5.19, rather. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he's saying the exact same thing Paul's saying in Galatians 6.1. If he wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner, one who's walking lawlessly, from the air of his way, what will happen? He will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What you do in this life matters. Do not be deceived. And don't think God will just send somebody else. It's you. It's you. It's me. And yes, you know, let's be honest. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's typically going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's, you're going to have to say hard things. But it's how you say them with gentleness, in love. Amen? Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. I want you to think about some Judas betrayed Yeshua with a kiss. And think about who Yeshua is. I mean, and think about what the church is. It says the church is the body of Christ. That's what the church is. Do you think the devil's going to come to us any differently? He's going to come to us with the false prophets, false teachers, what Paul calls these ministers of righteousness. The devil comes as an angel of light, and he's betraying the church with a kiss. It's okay. It's fine. You're okay. And they wrap their arms around you, and they'll love on you and encourage you, and he will send you to hell. And one thing, another thing about it. This is a reality. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. You want to know what a righteous man looks like? He says, let the righteous strike me. It shall be kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayers against the deeds of the wicked. So here's the deal. If you go appropriately in the spirit. And you speak according to the spirit. You're going to know who this person is. Because they will respond to it well. They will respond. This righteous man will respond to correction. Or righteous woman. They will respond to correction. They want it. They want the path of truth. They don't want to wallow in deception. Proverbs 28 verse 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. This is a biblical truth. It's easier to flatter. Tell people what they want to hear. There's no confrontation. Everything's fine. You go away, and you know you didn't offend this person. Or you didn't offend the church, or you didn't offend your pastor, or whatever. 
Now, this is exactly, so when we look at Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. One point I want to point out, okay, so we look at the reality, the weight of this. Yes, this is life and death. This is salvational. But just to point out, not everyone is fit for duty to go on a rescue mission. There's only specific people. You who are spiritual. Those, as we covered last week, who walk in the spirit. These are the only people that are, gonna, that are capable of to go behind enemy lines and take from the devil and bring this person back home. And this is exactly what Yeshua says in Matthew 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judged, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, the first thing I want to say before I continue is, is obviously, this is honestly one of the most uh, popular, predominant passages in all of the Bible that people are acquainted with. But I will also tell you it's the most misunderstood, the most misused. In fact, you have the world using this. You have atheists quoting that. Don't judge me. Your Bible says, don't judge. Hands off. And this is how we like to do it. It's no, 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 no. But here's the thing. Do you know what Yeshua's point is? All you have to do is follow his point. What is Yeshua concerned about here? Because we know, we looked at what James said, we looked at Paul, and we could look at many other passages that could show you. We look at what Ezekiel said. We're called to bring our brothers home. We're called to admonish them, to rebuke them. So what is Yeshua getting at? What's his concern? Well, look at what he says as he continues. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is his concern. It's the people that are going to do the judging. It never fails. The people that are most uh, willing to go and do the admonishing and the judging are always the ones with the big honking plank in their eyes. They always, it's easy for them to go point out, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. It's just, they love to nitpick. These are the people with the big honking planks in their eyes. And if you've ever had a speck, I, as a kid, I did. I had something in my eye and it was just puffed up and it was just a tiny little speck. And I'm like, no, 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 don't touch it. Don't touch it. It hurts. My aunt, she did this thing with this uh, tissue paper, you know, did all of that. And she had this like needle point on this thing and she's coming into my eye. I'm just terrified, but it was like performing surgery just to get that thing and she got it and she pulled it out. Now I'm telling you, I don't want a somebody with a big honking plank in there trying to do that. It makes no sense. It's terrifying. This is Yeshua's concern. This is his concern. And this is exactly what the apostle Paul is communicating. Brother, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You're gentle. You're going to be kind. You're capable of handling this rescue mission, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I just want to close with this verse. We're going to jump ahead here to go to Daniel 12.2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And listen to this. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now that's a powerful statement because 
when, when God brings Abraham out and he said, go up, look up at the sky and count the stars if you remember them. So the righteous are actually likened to stars. They're likened to stars in the book of Enoch and these stars have names. It's, a, it's amazing. But here you see they do something. The righteous whose names are in the book of life, they turn many to righteousness. Are we doing that? Because that's what we're called to do. We're on that mission. 